Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to a special edition Hobby of a Lifestyle episode today. I know that I've already covered the circus series, but there was one performer who I really wanted to get on the show, and due to Wi-Fi and technical issues, it wasn't able to happen the first time. So Mel has very kindly agreed to come back on the show to let us know a little bit more about her journey to becoming a professional performer and how she's doing things a little bit different. Good afternoon, Mel. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, we're really good. We've got a, another special guest on the show today because my daughter, Amelie, who's six years old, was dying to speak with you. So she wanted to come in on the on the podcast and ask a couple of questions as well, didn't you? Yeah. Do you want to say hello? Hi. Hi. So happy to have you. So, Amelie, what question would you like to ask um, Mel today? Did she used to do gymnastics when she was little? So did you used to do gymnastics as a child? I did indeed. I started gymnastics around the age of five and uh, went up to the provincial level in Canada and finished around the age 15. So she did gymnastics from five to 15 years old. Wow. And Mel, could you just tell our listeners what is your profession now? I am a professional circus artist. Professional circus artist. And what is your area of expertise within the circus? Primarily aerial arts. So aerial silks, hoop, rope, and And that is why you wanted to come along today, Emily, isn't it? Because you've just started doing aerial hoop. Yeah. Haven't you? And you've also had a little go of aerial hammock. Yeah. And which one do you like the best? Aerial hoop or aerial hammock? Aerial hammock. Aerial hammock. Do you? Okay. Oh. And why do you like that one the best? Um, because you can do lots more things on it. You feel like you can do lots more. And do you want to ah. ask Mel what do you want to ask Mel what her favourite thing is to do on aerial? What's your favorite thing to do on aerial hoop? Oh, an aerial hoop. Ooh. Oh. My favorite thing on aerial hoop is probably spinning very, very fast upside down. Spinning upside down. Would you like to do that? Yeah. You can try it tomorrow on your lesson. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. Oh, we will. We'll take a video and we'll send it, shall we? Yeah. That sounds good. So, Mel, for listeners, You've started gymnastics at the age of five years old. How old were you when you're doing gymnastics? When was the the realisation that circus was something that you wanted to pursue? I think I saw my first circus Olay performance when I was about the age of 11, and okay. I loved watching the acrobatics. I don't think it was Ariel in that performance, but I'd seen Ariel later on, and I actually just didn't know how to get involved in it. And so I was very lucky uh, when I became an adult that a studio opened up nearby in Canada that had Ariel. And so I got started that way. But if I could have done it as a kid, I would absolutely love to. It's so much fun. It's very artistic. It's creative. It's sporty. It's got everything that I've ever wanted. Yeah. And so, Amelie, you started Ariel Hoop now. You're six years old. And you've also seen Cirque du Soleil as well, haven't you? A couple of times. And you love Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. And what fil- what film do you love, which has got circus in? Um, the Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman. Do you have ha- you found within your profession, Mel, that The Greatest Showman has really highlighted the circus even more so now, and it brought to the forefront of people's attention? 
A little bit. Um, I haven't heard too many of my colleagues discuss it or too many of my friends that are non-circus artists discussing it. I would have loved to see more circus involved. I would have loved to see a movie um, about contemporary circus, so about current times. I think that would just be fabulous. But it is nice that circus is becoming more, um, it has better opportunity for people to get involved in it. There are more studios. There are now movies coming out like The Greatest Showman. And I just hope that it continues to explode because it's such an amazing um, practice involved in. Yeah, we totally agree. I know that when you seen Zendaya doing the aerial hoop, that was when your love for it kind of kicked in and you wanted to do aerial, wasn't it, Emily? Yeah. That's what you wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> for our listeners who obviously won't say this, my, my daughter's sitting nodding, nodding away to Mel saying, yeah, that's when I wanted to do aerial hoop. We've also got another cheeky monster who's trying to get in here. Do you want to come and say hello? <laughs> Sorry about this, but my middle no, child. No, it's okay. My, my middle child. Is... Do you want Hi. to say hello? Hi. And how are you? How are you? Okay. You're okay. And do you like aerial hoop as yeah. well? Yeah. Are you doing it tomorrow? We can do it with one hand. You can do it with one hand. Well, I'll tag. Wow. I'll tag you in the video. Okay. Wow. What happened? That means I'll, I'll send it to Mel so she can see you doing it. I would love to see it. We'll send it, okay? We'll send that over. Amelie, do you have any other questions that you want to ask Mel about circus? Um, what's your favourite thing in the circus to do? What's my favourite thing in the circus to do? Uh, I My favourite thing is actually duo trapeze. So I used to have a partner that I worked with and we performed together and trained together. And I loved working with a partner in aerial. I do acrobatic, partner acrobatics as well, but doing duo trapeze just felt so natural and fun and having a really good partner to work with just really for a really wonderful experience. Oh, so there you go, trapeze and working with a partner. That's cool, isn't it? You happy yeah. with that answer? Yeah. Good. So at sort of when you when you're growing up Mel as a as a five year old and you start doing gymnastics, when did how old were you when you started competing? Oh, that's a good question. Probably around the age of seven or eight. Okay, so you um, kind just, of trained for two or three years and then start competing. Yes. And, and did you enjoy the competitive side of gymnastics? I did because it's a chance for you to showcase your skills and get the adrenaline rushing. Um, you also, even though you're uh, competing as an individual, you also have your teammates there. And the experience of competing, I think, is just really a good experience to have to get used to that. Um, and getting, really good, and yeah. performing, you know, it's a competition. Yeah, and I, I know that I've spoke to people in the past who now perform in circus in various shows around the world. And I, I have had one person who said they just did not enjoy competing when they were younger at gymnastics. They were all about the end of year performances in the show. They loved the performance side of it, just weren't interested in the competitive side. So it's just interesting to hear different people's perspectives. And it's nice to hear that you, you enjoyed the competing because you got to put on a show. And are you a natural extrovert or are you more of an introvert? That's a good question. I, when I'm with people, I am naturally extroverted. I love to showcase myself. I love performing, uh, but I also do spend a lot of time by myself. Okay. Um, and I enjoy my time by myself, actually. So, yeah. so do you I feel a little like, bit of both. Do you feel like you're probably more introvert? However, when it comes to performing, that is when the maybe the, the, the extrovert who wants to get out a little bit more is, is allowed to come out and free themselves. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Definitely. That's, yeah, that's really cool. So you got you seen you you competed in gymnastics till about what what happened after 15 years of age? 
Well, I'd also been competing in dance by that point as well. And then I left the school that I was in to go to a performing arts school, which was absolutely fantastic. And that's where I got into acting and directing and cheerleading and my gymnastics skills really came in, um, came in handy there. Uh, so I did stunting and tumbling with cheerleading. Uh, and then I also did dance while I was there as well. And so it really broadened my experience. So I spent three years doing that. And then after that is when I went to university and where I was introduced to pole dancing into aerial and I continued to dance and perform dance as well. So it's kind of uh, spiraled out into various. No, it sounds good. And was, did you want to go down the dance performing route rather than the, the circus route? Because I know that obviously in Canada, in Montreal, you've got a, a really famous circus school out there, <laughs> Academy. Was that ever something that you looked at doing or was it always the kind of dance and performance you wanted to go down initially? Actually, I didn't know how to get involved in circus. And so dance had always been part of my life from a young age. So okay. it wasn't until later in my university career that I found out about circus. And then it wasn't until I actually moved overseas that I realized how much uh, more access I could have to circus. And I actually didn't know about a full national dessert uh, until far later in my circus career. I did end up attending uh, a couple of years ago, or actually a year ago. Uh, the years are blurring together. Um, so I did attend there uh, for a little bit and also went to circuit school in London, UK. But again, it wasn't until later in my adult life that I was aware that that school even existed. Okay, okay. So it was very much the, you had, weren't aware of it, so you went down the, the dance and performing route. And what did you love so much about the dance and the performance school that you went to? You know, why did you choose that route to go down? Again, I love performing and I love the creativity. So gymnastics is wonderful in that it really teaches you a strong foundation for acrobatic skills, learning how to use your body, strength training, progressions, uh, and also a gymnastics coach. So that was really helpful to go through that as well. But with circus and for dance, it's also the creative aspect. So if you have a weakness, you can use that to your advantage in certain ways. So for example, let's say you have really bad to a point or you can't straighten your legs fully. Well, you don't have to do that in circus. You can do bent legs and flex feet and, and find different avenues and create your own style and find your own choreography. And that's what I love about both dance and circus is that I am able to do that for both myself as well as those that I teach and uh, choreograph for. That's amazing. That is absolutely fantastic. And you dance now at six years old, Emily. What do you enjoy about your dance and why do you compete? Um, I really like just having loads of solos. Loads of solos, you like being on stage by yourself. <laughs> I love that. So you like being out in the centre of a crowd as well, do you, and performing? Well, that's good. And do you do any duets as well? Yeah. And you're I'm starting a new, a new one. You started a new duet. And what song are you doing? Truly Scrumptious. Truly Scrumptious. Is that from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I love that song. What kind of dance do you do? Um, We're singing it and... It's going to be a duet. It's going to be kind of like a modern one. Modern. So what what types of dance do you do at the moment? Um, modern ballet and um, sometimes it's, I do lyrical. And what else does, what does Miss do Nadia performing. do? What kind, what does she, what's she exceptional at? Tap. Tap dancing, isn't she? So you, do, so you do all four of those, don't you, and some other ones? And they also do um, singing. And you do singing lessons Ooh. as well. So you're really, and you're starting some acting classes soon as well, aren't you? Some performing classes. So really just loves, perf just loves performing now. I know you've already started. That's great, isn't it? So maybe we'll have to show Mel some of your performances and she can 
say, well, yeah, I used to do that as a kid and this is what you can maybe try that and this. That would be cool, wouldn't it? To get a professional's feedback. Yeah, that would be good. That's one. awesome. You sound like you're a triple threat, dancing, acting, and singing. That is amazing. Thank you, Zane. Thank you. Good girl. <laughs> so you have went to performing arts school and you're, you know, you're following the path that you wanted to go. Did you know at that age that was the route that you wanted to go down? It was always going to be something in the performance world? Absolutely. I have loved that part of my life for so long. I do still love the academic and professional side of my life um, with other jobs that come up and, and continuing to learn. So I do have an undergraduate degree. I do have a master's degree. Uh, but definitely the performing side of my life, it really balances me out and just gives me an outlet to stay happy and healthy and fitness and with a group of people that are just absolutely phenomenal. Um, circus artists, if you get a chance to work with them or spend time with them, it's it's just being with an amazing group of people. I, I can absolutely want that to be my life. <laughs> I can absolutely imagine, you know, I've been fortunate to speak not only with yourself, but some of the circus performers for, for this podcast, for the mini series that we've done. And every single person that I've spoke to has been so approachable, just so down to earth, so humble, and some of the things that they've done and achieved throughout their careers and even just throughout their sporting careers before that. Um, amazing people. And just, yeah, I totally am that. I can definitely understand why you kind of drawn into that <laughs> profession into that that circle um that community it's it is it's absolutely phenomenal and you know we've enjoyed listening to the podcast how we listen to other people the other circus artists as well and even just listening to some of the trials and tribulations that come along with that as well because you know i think people only see the highlight reel almost when it comes to social media they see the stuff that you you know the things that you've been doing the things that you've done but they don't see the hard work and hours that go into that I know that you've had a really good kind of grounding and a really good foundation there when you've done your gymnastics as a child. You've then moved into your dance and perform, but you didn't discover aerial until you got to university. So tell us a little bit about that, how you discovered the, the aerial world. <laughs> uh, well, I was part of a dance company and I was also teaching at a few different dance studios. And one of the dance studios, she started first with pole dancing, which I was terrible at. And now I do perform and teach as well and so then she introduced aerial hoop and aerial silt and that has just been something that I've wanted to do for so long and it came very natural to me um, with my gymnastics and dance background and because I loved it so much I just wanted to really get my fingers into it uh, and then I was only there for a couple of years before I moved overseas and met one of my best friends Kat Clark uh, she's on Instagram as uh, Kat Cirque and she uh, had also been teaching and she came into circus quite late in her life as well um, and we just bonded so quickly and we went to circus school together and it kind of exploded from there. So I'm so grateful that I've had her in my life to, uh, to bring on that path. And she introduced me to partner acrobatics as well, which I also absolutely love, which is uh, standing acrobatics or hand to hand um, because I love flipping in the air and I love working with partners and groups of people. And so it, again, exploded uh, slowly like a tree. <laughs> no, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Do you think that when you were introduced to the aerial side of performance that that was the moment when you realized this was something you really, really wanted to pursue as a career. 100%. As soon as I got into that, I actually, uh, even when I was a quite a beginner, I started performing right away. I would already been performing um, dance. And so this was just one other thing that I started doing at um, various locations uh, in Canada um, at various groups and clubs and small events. And 
yeah, I've been performing. I wanted to get that as part of my life as, as much as possible. And then when the opportunity came to a circuit school to really dig into it a little bit deeper, uh, because I didn't think that I was at the professional level to do that full time, um, circuit school really helped to open that up. And then I was also in touch with a lot more artists um, that are at the peak of their careers uh, and just being able to meet more people and understand how the business side of it works. Yeah. Uh, because that is something that is quite missed. A lot of people don't understand how much work that's not related to training goes into building up your career as a Oh, I can, yeah, I, I can only imagine from speaking to yourself and, and other performers how much work goes into it and just the amount of, almost the amount of rejection that comes as well because you're obviously <laughs> competing, you know, and I, I I think it's really important that we do highlight, you know, there's always going to be, a, you know, people, are, again, we talk about social media, you're only seeing the highlights, you're seeing the good stuff, you're not seeing, you know, the hundreds of rejections that you get in order to get that one, that one contract or that one opportunity to even get an opportunity of a contract. So, you know, you mentioned as well quite early on that you you travelled to go and work. So, what? How did that come across? How did that come across? You were you working in Canada and then you got an opportunity to travel abroad, or was it very much your first contract was was abroad? Uh, well, I actually got a job first in Qatar, and it was non-circus related, uh, and that's before I went to circus school. And then once I finished circus school, again, I had a lot more contacts because I was working with individuals that were doing that full time. And so when I wanted to pursue it full-time, what I did is I contacted those that I knew in various industries, various countries, and said, hey, I've just finished. This is my showreel. This is what I can offer. This is what my specialty is in. And that's where I was able to get more performance opportunities as well as teaching opportunities. And I'd already been a gymnastics coach and a dance teacher for quite a long time. And so that really helped uh, support, I think, my teaching career. And I think it's nice that I've had a balance of both. Um, and then I'd be able to kind of bounce through because there's sometimes where performance opportunities are just not very much, but I can still teach. Um, and then I still like the performing side, so I can focus on teaching, but then also pursue um, time to perform as well. And so uh, it kind of sprouted, I guess, from that. And then I was able to travel a lot more because I had a lot of colleagues and friends in various countries. Okay. But yeah, no, that's really interesting. And and I know you've went back to that a few times to circus school. Why? When obviously you've you've done your aerial sessions in Canada, you've done all this performance, and you've got your you've got your masters, and you've you know you've you've travelled for for a different role mm-hmm. over to Qatar. Why did you feel the need to attend circus school? Just to bring the level up. So I, because I was really strong as a gymnast and a dancer, I knew some of the beginner stuff, and I knew some really advanced stuff. But I was missing a lot of stuff in between, and just really having a strong foundation to feel like I. Uh, was worthy, I guess, of, for, of big performances and doing more and charging what I could and to build a career off of that. And I didn't think I had that. And I, I would agree now looking back that I didn't have it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that wasn't at that level to be able to do that full time. And so uh, Kat was going to circus school and she's the one who recommended that we could do that together. And it absolutely changed my career. That was completely instrumental into building what I needed to have and to be able to train on my own to understand progressions understand again what those foundational components are and having just such amazing trainers with uh, such a high level of acrobatics yeah. to be able to, to teach that no and i think it's fantastic to hear that you know someone who's already so accomplished in so many different skill sets you know the fact you've done your performance you've done your gymnastics you haven't you haven't stopped learning you haven't become sort of mm-hmm. almost stagnant you haven't you haven't rested on the skills that you've got you've wanted to go out there and perform and you've funded to go to a circus school to help bring you on to the next level once you finished certain school, you said that was instrumental. 
how did you go around then building your career within circus? Uh, well, social media was really helpful for that. So understanding how social media works and what to post and how to post and what you're putting on there. Yeah. Uh, so I tried to build a style and have my those that were following me to know that this is what I offered. So I also break a lot of skills down and I show the entrances into drops into various uh, skills as well. And so that really helped bring up more of an international um, exposure, I guess. And then also as I travel, then I meet more people that are traveling to meet me. They've worked with me. Oh, you know, I've got this other studio. There's other companies that's really, really interested in working with you, or you should really meet these people. And so again, I'll, that traveling really helped us like that. Um, and then I also continued my learning as well. And I do that to this day where I do keep training and work with uh, various colleagues uh, to build the skill foundation back up. Um, and so that's why I went to a full national surgery and see, and I also went to Beijing International uh, Performing Arts School as well. And so that helped me meet more people and more trainers and just, again, continue to build up my own repertoire. I, I think that you are very much unique, or I, I certainly feel like you're unique in, with regards to the other people that I spoke to who are in, in the circus world. It seems to me that you very much work for yourself and produce your own shows and, and work on other contracts, whereas, you know, other performers that I spoke to, their dream was to work for some of the, the big circus companies in the world, you know, La Revs, Cirque du Soleil, Dracone, and, and that was their dreams and they're doing absolutely fantastic with their fact that they're phenomenal athletes, phenomenal performers. Why is it that you maybe haven't went down that route or, or, or don't intend to go down that route? A couple of reasons. So the first is that I did get into circus as a little bit older. So I was in my mid twenties, which is on, it's not too old, but it is on the older side. Yeah. Um, I had also come from a dance background where I do choreography. I make my own choreography and I perform and I do shows with different types of performances all the time. So I'm not doing the same performance yeah. um, quite often. And with circus, when I finished circus school, actually, I had a, my year end performance and we worked on that for a couple months. And by the end of that, I was kind of bored because I was only working on that one performance. Okay. And so for me, I really liked doing smaller events. I loved doing a lot of the spoke work. I love um, talking to the people that are my clients to see what exactly they want. So that it really pushes me my creative boundaries. Yeah. I can really create something new and I can play around with different themes and styles. And I don't have to be married to one or two performances that I do twice a day, six days a week for two years. And mm -hmm. I know that is something that a lot of my circuit circuit artists, um, I don't say they want to get bored with it, but uh, I mean, it is something that can weigh heavily that there isn't as much creative okay. creativity involved when you're doing the same performance. Yeah. No, that's that's fantastic, and it's a it's a it's a great great reason to to keep pursuing and change things around. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, some people get I am one of those people. I get bored with things very easily, so. <laughs> I, I dot around from here to there and I wish I had the commitment of some people because I'm sure it must be yeah, it must be nice doing the, the same thing and yeah I, I, I flick from one thing to another I'm terrible terrible <laughs> um, setting up on kind of working for yourself and having these shows you know yourself how do you even begin to do that again uh, marketing is such a big part of that so really making sure that um, I work and I talk to my colleagues and meet and really put myself out there. Uh, so when I was traveling in various countries, if I saw various showcases or festivals or performing arts companies or agents, um, and really just sending my information out as far as wide as possible. Okay. Um, when I worked for various studios doing teaching, um, that opened up some doors to be able to, oh, you know, we've got this show coming up. Do you want to do something with this? 
Um, again, having really strong friendships with my colleagues. So I have performed uh, in the UK quite a bit with some of my friends that are um, doing showcases on festivals. Uh, and then again, just talking to people that say, hey, I perform. If you're interested, you've got a birthday party or a wedding or uh, something coming up or an opening of a museum or a corporate event. Let me know because I, I'm happy to work with you and talk about that. So being really open and, and again, really trying to market yourself as far as wide as possible. So a very strong website. Um, I haven't been using it as much anymore, but really with Instagram so that people can see what I'm doing and really stay yeah, up to date with where I am and, and uh, what my style is. No, that's very cool. And I just think for aspiring circus perform- or just performers in general, it you know, it's very much you've started doing, you know, you've kind of started at the bottom and worked your way up. So you've literally did almost any gig you can get your hands on a little bit, isn't it? Sometimes you're not being selected, but almost going, well, actually, as long as I'm getting paid for it and I can showcase what I'm doing, that's hopefully going to snowball and produce more work and more work and more work. You've mentioned about Qatar, so we know you're kind of over in the Middle East now. Mm-hmm. Middle East, the Middle East came along because of, of another another role you were in, and now you're yes. out there as a professional. What, what are you doing out there at the moment? Uh, well, I am no longer in Qatar. I did open up the first full and aerial studio in Qatar. I did a lot of performing there for various hotels and parties and companies, and it was really enjoyable. An opportunity came up for me to move to Saudi Arabia. Okay. And I haven't been performing as much since I've been here, but I've really been able to start working with the community and building that up. And that was one of the things that I absolutely loved about working in Qatar, is to build that community aspect, get students involved, get people performing. And that's something that I've been able to, again, do here. There is a full company in Jeddah, uh, which my friend Rola Rafat owns, and it's fantastic because she's a Saudi female, and she's building that up. So I've been working with her, doing some teaching with her, um, and building communities um, outside of Jeddah, where that studio is. And again, just working with people that are interested in seeing what we can and build community and build the exposure for what we can do and what we can offer various people that are living here. And that is something that is just very near and dear to my heart. And is that more the, the route you want to go down moving forward is it still to run your own you know still to perform and still do it do the shows that you're getting paid to come in but really focus on setting up your own your own school almost and having your own company out there that gives back to the community mm-hmm. uh, and developing almost the next generation of aerialists Absolutely. So I, I do miss performing. It is starting, um, starting to make me sad that I don't get the opportunity to perform as much. So um, I mean, this year with COVID, everything's been a little bit crazy. So I do want to bring that up next year and really start putting myself back into that because I haven't produced a lot of new um, full-length performances. So I'd like to work on that. But yes, I'm not. I've opened up a full studio here in November, as of November 2019, and I'm looking to build up an aerial school as well, just a small one. And uh, also a yoga studio, so I am a ERYT 500 uh, yoga instructor. And so I'd like to open that up. And then eventually start collaborating with other companies so that we potentially have a performing arts school or even just a studio school. But we can also do um, student transfers and we're, we can do, um, yeah, we're just going to be collaborating with other studios and maybe do more traveling and, and doing more performing. So that is on the list. I think it's longer down the road to actually have a formal school. Um, but I've got some small pockets and small little studio schools that are opening up. That's amazing. And what would you call the school? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I have not decided yet. I like the idea of using the location of where I am, but I do tend to move quite a bit. So that is a little bit of a struggle. Um, yeah. But I also want to make something that is very um, performing arts, but that's creative. 
I've been struggling with ideas for years. And actually, when I opened up my studio in Qatar, um, I changed the name so many times and that didn't really help the marketing. But uh, yeah, the name, it needs to be something that's going to take me some time to figure out. <laughs> I love that. Um, how did your parents feel when you, you told them that, you know, one, you're moving, you're moving abroad? because you, you've got a job, you know, you're using your master's degree and, and, and the things that you've achieved from university, all the qualifications to move abroad. And secondly, I'm actually going to pursue a career as a circus artist. I am so lucky that I have such a supportive family. So my parents have always been very aware that me and my siblings love to climb trees. We would jump off the garage onto trampolines and do crazy things. We used to jump off bridges doing backflips and they would watch just to make sure the boats don't come. So They've always been aware that that is something um, that we've liked, uh, especially me. And when I moved overseas, again, they were very supportive. Um, they weren't quite sure about Qatar uh, because they didn't know very much about it. And myself, I've never heard of the country until I saw a job posting. Um, but they were very supportive and they really wanted an opportunity for me to explore and see the world. And then when the circus came up, I mean, that was just the shoot fix. That's what you're meant to do. Um, so it was, yeah, they loved that I felt the passion and found something that that was just so natural for me to get into. Yeah. Mel, we've you know we've been talking about some of the stuff that you're doing in in circus and and around yourself, and a lot of people would maybe look at it as an expense, but you've clearly seen it as an investment. So roughly, you know, you've talked about you've been to Beijing, you've been to circus school in London, you've set up your own school in Qatar, you've then branched out and you've you've moved to Jeddah and and you're doing the same up there, you know. People probably don't don't look at the investment or the or the money that you've spent to get to where you are now. What, let's let's put a ballpark That's figure. A what, what kind of investment uh, so with do you all think the traveling that you, the you various schools I've been to and the festivals and the certification programs that I wanted to take and again I think continuing education is such an important part of this industry. Uh, as I think probably I've spent about half a million dollars at least um, over my professional career on just everything that I've wanted to do. And so having another job to be able to support that. Um, and so I don't have to say no to really good opportunities that come up that might be really expensive is I have the ability to, to do that. Um, and so what I make from certain, I really try and put myself back into it. Um, so the, everything that I earn goes into equipment, it goes into training, it goes into sharing my love and, and I can again, perform for, um, yeah. do different performances that maybe don't, um, have the income that I would want generally and I can say say yes to performing for a small amount of money. Yeah. That yeah that's that's so good. And I suppose with the that amount of investment that really does put you in a position where <laughs> you can almost d- demand higher fees because you've invested so much in yourself. Uh, no, let's be honest, people, you know, people are buying your time, they're buying your skill set and your professionalism. And I'm sure there's so many performers out there who would be able to do it for cheaper. Mm-hmm. But it, I suppose it would be like buying a pair of trainers. If you buy a cheap pair or, or, an, or a well-branded expensive pair, the expensive ones are going to last longer. You're gonna, they're going to be a better product than the cheaper the cheaper option. You know, and is is that is that a position you're in now where you can almost <laughs> you know charge a higher figure that might sound ridiculous to some people, but but if it sounds ridiculous to those people, they're not the clientele you're after. Yes, they're I do charge my normal rates for my especially for my private classes because that is a lot of time that I put into 
building um, a relationship with that individual and making sure that we're meeting certain objectives for that individual. Um, I've also worked with a lot of artists, uh, mostly in the UK and Ireland, uh, as well as in uh, Dubai, to make sure that we are setting some minimal minimum price rates because what happens is you do get a lot of people that are doing aerial on the side and they do start performing, which is great, uh, but they start undercutting the industry. That is actually a wider problem that we are having now because circus is a lot more available. And so I really want to make sure that I am charging rates that allow those that are doing it full-time and that are relying on that income to be able to continue that as their full-time careers. Uh, and yes, definitely when I am working with privates, I do charge um, my regular wage because of the history of what I'm coming with and the certifications that I do have to be able to give really good classes. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I suppose if you spent half a million dollars investing in yourself, yes. you know, which is an insane amount of money, you know, think of the house you could have bought, which... Yeah, but it is. It's it's the it's the realisms of life that you obviously want to make back that half a million dollars because you've invested in yourself, and I'm sure if you invest in that much, the aim is to then certainly pay it off and exceed that amount. So I think it's really important to to aspiring performers that they realise there's going to be times where you just have to invest in yourself if you want if you want to make that investment back. So Mel, I know you're out in Qatar and we've kind of half talked about that it was a different role that took you over to Qatar and over to the Middle East. What is, what was the reason, what was the full-time role that took you there initially? Uh, so I, yes, do have another full-time job. I have worked in education and I was working for a university uh, in Qatar and I did that for a few years before going to circuit school. Uh, and now I do work in Saudi also at a university and Yes, it's interesting having two quite different professions, um, and I don't let them blend too much together, although I am in a small community now that it is starting to, to get a little bit closer. But uh, okay. yes, that is, that is the situation. <laughs> I, you know, now, now we're talking about that. We, we spoke about this prior to recording, the fact that it's sometimes you almost feel like it's looked down a little bit because you cost yourself as a professional aerialist, which you are, you get paid for doing the job. But because you also hold another full-time role within the university, you almost feel like you look down a little bit by other performers at, at times in your career. Is, is that fair enough to say? Yes, it can be. The ones that I work very closely with know how much I dedicate my life to my aerial side. So when I was in Qatar, that was actually a full-time job doing aerial and pole because I'd finish work and then I would work another five hours, like five to ten in the evening, all day Friday, sometimes Saturday. I love private clients. Um, I work with loyalty. And so I was really dedicating almost the same amount of time, well, actually, same amount or even more time to my professional aerial career as I was to my university career. Um, it is something that I did go back to because when I was doing circus full time, I was living out of the suitcase. I was traveling a lot. I didn't feel like I had a home base. Um, the money was also quite good, but then there were some months where it's not quite as good and you're, you're not quite sure you don't have any stability. And for me as an individual, stability is really important to me. I like knowing what my income is, what I can plan for. Yeah. And so traveling, that, that was an amazing time and I would absolutely not go back and take that away. Um, but I found having just some kind of full-time and having a whole base really helped me to get back into what I loved about Ariel. And when I was doing it full-time, I was also teaching a lot of the same classes. I was also performing a lot of the same shows because I didn't have a lot of time to create something new because it's always on the road. Um, and so now I do feel more comfortable and that I have a lot more um, 
I guess say and also the work that comes to me because I can say no because to some performance things that come up because I no longer potentially need that income. And I can also give that to some of my budding artists, some of my students that are coming up or some other colleagues that I know that they're looking for work while I have this opportunity that I don't want. Please take it. And I do feel a lot more comfortable now in the position that I put myself in. But so yes, it's, why, yeah. why do you feel that people maybe not discredited you or but maybe looked down on you the fact that you had two full-time roles? Is it just because um, you, you were totally 100% doing aerial as a career 100% of the time? And is that the only reason you feel that that came about? Yes. I mean, most of the times, I think when people call them a professional, it means that they are doing that full-time. And a lot of people have asked, well, if you're doing a full-time job, how can you do aerial full-time? And it is possible to do both. It is a lot of work, but it is something that I enjoy, and I think they balance each other out quite well. But I think there's also... Um, where people will think that because I've chosen to also have another career on top of my circus career, that um, I didn't make it in that role. And why did I quit? And why did I not pursue doing circus full time? And it just, it was really good. And I'm kind of glad that I did it, but the financial stability, I mean, it is a big part of being a circus artist. Um, you just don't get paid as much. And you also are very focused on making sure that you are meeting the whims of your clients. And that can be, Quite challenging sometimes, yeah. um, especially I think in the region that I'm in, rigging is also a bit of an issue. Yeah. And so I have had to say no to a lot of really well-paid events because the rigging was potentially dangerous or it just wasn't a venue that I liked or I just felt uncomfortable about something. And so it put a lot more power in my hands to choose what I wanted to do and what I wanted to perform as well. Yeah, and I, I, I know that we've spoke about this. I find it really hard to find how anyone could really kind of put that down because certainly here in the UK I have friends who have full-time jobs but then have full-time kickboxing schools as well and nobody ever looks at them and go well you know it's not a professional school it's yeah it's a community at the end of the day and they're doing it more because they're giving back to the community so they're not you know they'll make good money from it but it's not about the money it's about the they make, they make probably better money from because of the amount of people that they have in there because it is accessible to the community they're training up the next generation of competitors or just helping the community by offering health and wellness to them you know some people go along the gymnastics dancing and it's not because they want to compete it's just because they enjoy something and it gets them active and it keeps the kids fit or it keeps adults fit and you know it's as much as around mental health as it is around physical health and so the fact that anyone could kind of discredit what you're doing we spoke of this i find I find it absolutely crazy. To, <laughs> you know, and over here, I've, I've had this conversation with one of my good friends. She says that I've got so many different side hustles, but I've never ever looked at it as side hustles. I almost look at it as like, <laughs> I just don't have one definitive role. I just do a lot of different things that I enjoy doing because that's what life's about. It's not a dress rehearsal. I like to do things that keep me interested. I, I talked before about flipping from one thing to the other. You know, I've got side side hustles. Um, and I, but she, she 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 liked that. She thought it was a, a good way, rather than just going, I'm going to do one job and it's going to be nine or five or it's going to be X, Y, and Z. Actually, I want to be able to do this job because I enjoy it, but I also enjoy other things and I would like to do them as well. So I think what you do is fantastic. I, I'm, I'm all for that. And it's probably maybe it's maybe a, a UK thing that a lot of people do those sorts of things. You know, they'll not just do one full-time job, they'll have two or three jobs going on at the same time and they'll all bring in income or they'll all bring in just happiness, I suppose. Mm -hmm. 
And that's surely yeah. what I'm putting in a nice position where you can go. I don't want to do that job. I don't need to do it because I'm okay. I've got exactly. another income coming in. Exactly. And giving back to the community, you make a really good point about that. When I was um, doing service full time, I really had to make it clear that I had to charge my services because that was my my job and that yeah, is the way that I made my, my money. But now that I don't have the financial burden of that, I can share a lot more and I don't feel the pressure to do that. And I have had students um, that just don't have the financial means to be able to afford classes and I've been able to do a lot to support them still and again build a community and, and put that in there. And that again is very again very near and dear to my heart to be able to build that community. And I wouldn't say so many uh, once people meet me and they see I think what I've been able to accomplish and how hard working I am, they have been okay with it. I think it's just sometimes when they go to studios and I say, well, if I mention that I have another part time job, it's more of a surprise. Oh. And maybe it's because when they think you are a full-time circus artist or a professional circus artist, um, that you can't do anything else beyond that. And you have to really focus 100% of your life into circus. So that could be part of it too. Um, and again, because it is such a difficult industry to make a career out of. Yeah. Um, I suppose if you, the, the counter argument would be a professional athlete then goes to work for a television broadcaster to, be, uh, to do punditry and to commentate, but they're still a professional athlete. Nobody's telling yes. them they're a professional athlete. They're being brought in to do a job because they they are professionals, and they can then commentate and give feedback on on another another person's performance. So, I think that from me personally, I would never. I, I think it might be a UK thing because over in the UK, I do believe that so many people do full time roles alongside another profession. Um, so my view of it is very different to some of the people that you've obviously dealt with and the, <laughs> fact, and the fact that you're giving back to the community as well. And it's great that you're in a position where, you know, if somebody who comes along to, to your school, to your sessions, can't necessarily afford it, that they're not being turned away at the door, that, you know, mm-hmm. you're still giving them that opportunity. And let's be honest, sometimes it's those people who can't necessarily afford it or the talent that gets away. Absolutely. So being able to hopefully highlight the next talent and the next generation of aerial performers who can then, take it on again to the next performance and potentially give someone an opportunity of a lifetime by allowing them to just to, to work out and train. I think that's fantastic. I know we've had a guest on the show previously um, who went on to be a professional MMA fighter and he was allowed to clean the gym in order to pay for his tuition. But if that if that coach hadn't done that, where would that young person be now? And, and what the adult that he's become, you know, he was very open in the podcast and said that he realised when he was in jail that he wanted to be an MMA fighter. He could have potentially wow. ended up back in jail if that coach hadn't took the opportunity to give this guy the chance to say, well, look, I know you can't afford it. Don't worry about it. Come and do a little bit of work around there. Earn your keep so you can train. And he's now soaring. He's thriving. You know, he's not just surviving, which is going to be, and hopefully you're kind of doing the same thing within your community. Absolutely. And 100%. And I have done that where I have a mid work or cleaning work or just, needing help with any other thing and yeah. having that quid pro quo relationship. And just, again, you're building community, you're building people that have a passion and you can depend upon it. Oh, 100%. You don't know whose life you're changing for the better and you don't know you don't know how it's affecting them. They could, that could just be one, two hours a week where it's a little bit of respite, it's a it's a breakaway, and it could be transforming somebody's life. So I think what you're doing over there is absolutely fantastic. Thank you it's so amazing. Much. And... I said, we kind of hit on it now. Is that the aspirations moving forward once you decide to, you know, hang up the hoop as the, as the, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, when you, when you decide to stop performing and stop 
but doing the circus routines is the is the aspirations now to keep building the community set up your own school do the cross work and you know you've talked about maybe traveling with your schools and having the, almost the exchange programs that work yes and then and then just keep building on and almost pioneer aerial in the the middle east Yes, I would. I mean, I do really see it myself doing both for a very long time. I don't know if I'll ever actually hang up the hoop. I love performing it. It's a really big part of me. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like I can still do that for as, until I can no longer do anything at yeah, all. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, I do absolutely still want to build community and I do still want to work. And I'm very happy with the balance that I have right now, emotionally um, and physically, to be able to do both. And so I'd like to continue to do both for a very long time. No, it sounds amazing. And are we just going to ask the listeners to send through some ideas for um, school names because you're struggling? Yes, please. <laughs> I do need help on that. I've always bouncing names back for years. Um, I just haven't nailed on something because I like the idea of having a really good name with performing arts in it, but then also being able to have like, a short name. Um, so I was part of a UBIC dance company and the short form was um, UBDC. And I liked something that you kind of have both. And, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely need some help with the names. <laughs> yeah, right. No problem. We'll do that. And actually, we've had a guest on the show before. She's a professional drummer, but she also does logo design and, and so creative stuff Ooh. around uh, around naming and stuff. So we'll maybe send her a message and hook you Definitely. Two, right? I would love to. Let you two guys up and see what you can work out together. <laughs> be great. No, well, Mel, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to have you on A Hobby of a Lifestyle. And thank you for coming on because listeners won't, won't know that we recorded this. But unfortunately, due to Wi-Fi connections, it didn't quite work <laughs> out. So Mel's really gratefully given her time up for me again today to come on. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate the time that you put into it um, to meet with me again. And I absolutely appreciate the opportunity to chat. And thank you for letting my little girl come and ask her a couple of questions. <laughs> Not a problem. I can't wait to see the videos of both of them. I will send them through, I promise. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. I really hope you're still enjoying the show. If you are, it would be great if you could leave a review on any of the podcast stations that you're listening to this through or via our social media handles. Until next time, stay safe.